Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, everybody. I am Richard Hunter. I'm Frank Mir. And together we present this podcast to you twice weekly, absolutely free, available in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever podcasts are available, you will find us there. PhoneBoothFighting.com may be the uh, easiest way to track us down. All the previously aired and archived episodes are there for your oral enjoyment and uh, also if you're on our phone booth fighting youtube page for your visual enjoyment and uh, we are making every effort possible to get those videos up in a more rapid fashion um there's a little bit of editing that's involved with the videos so like our previous episode with uh, misha tate here in the bunker with us everybody's clamoring to see that it was a, a, a big hit in terms of downloads, so we appreciate you guys listening to it, but the video of that should be up in uh, the next day or so, so you can uh, see what you missed by not being here in the bunker with us. Right now, though, Frank, at phoneboothfighting.com, and before we get into the show, we got to let everybody know that for a limited time only, all phone booth fighting t-shirts are 20% off. Limited time only sale, all t-shirts 20% off, like the one that you are uh, are wearing there. That's uh, our, our cartoon design there, right? The blue one, yep. I'm a big fan. We got those in blue and gray. Uh, we also have just a few left of the vintage fight poster style. Those are up as well. And uh, in addition to the new black-on-black uh, black crime edition and the ladies' uh, cut Bella Tees, the white ones. Those are all in the phoneboothfighting.com merchandise store and all available for 20% off for a limited time. Tell them about the Amazon banner, Frank, because that is another very important way to support this show. Easiest way to help us out. Uh, do your Amazon shopping that you normally do. Just make sure you click through our banner. That's the only extra effort on your part that it takes. And we benefit greatly from it. We get a small percentage back that we can use towards our show. And uh, as you can tell, the more the revenue that we're building up for the show, the more we put it back directly into it and uh, to improve the quality for you guys. Go to phoneboothfighting.com, click through that Amazon banner, do your Amazon shopping, and support the show in the process. We see you doing it, and we really do appreciate it. Also... Uh, you can go to our iTunes page, look up Phone Booth Fighting, and give us five stars. Give us those five-star reviews. Those help us tremendously keep us in the top uh, podcast rankings on iTunes. And if you have uh, an extra moment or two, write us a favorable line uh, in the review section. We like to read those on air. and We're going to be reading a few of them here in just a little bit on this very episode of Phone Booth Fighting. So uh, do us that favor, please. Look up Phone Booth Fighting and iTunes. Click on the five stars, and if you write us a line or two uh, in the way of positive encouragement, we shall read those on the air. All right, Frank, uh, last night UFC Auckland went down. The main event took place in your division of the heavyweights. Your uh, most recent opponent, Mark Hunt, was taken on the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Hunt ends up defeating Lewis via TKO in the fourth round. Uh, I'll just take a little look at the highlights here. This, by the way, uh, earned both fighters a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. Go ahead and roll that, uh, Travis, courtesy of... uh, 
uh, Karen and Kenny Let's and Misha over there at FS1. On the edge of our seats during all of those rounds for the main event here. Walk us through Mark Hunt versus Derek. Edge of our seats. I was about to have a heart attack, KB. I couldn't take another round. I'm glad they finished in the fourth. My goodness, I mean, both of these guys were trying to take each other out as we expected. That's why it was such a surprise that it went past the first round. I mean, Mark Hunt, I think the difference was Hunt was trying to throw combinations. Derek Lewis was looking for one-shot knockouts. And I think against an experienced striker like Mark Hunt, you just can't do that because he's going to get on your pattern, he's going to read what you're doing, and he's going to adjust. And eventually he ended up landing his knockout combo. And like you said earlier in the demo, Kenny, he really controlled the center of the octagon. Mark Hunt controlled the center of the octagon the entire time, which also allowed him to create angles and allowed him to eventually get that finishing punch. All right, go ahead and pause that. So, Frank, first of all, pretty much like you called it on our last episode. Uh, yeah, you know, again, you know, uh, Derek Lewis, I think he showcased the things I say that he does well. He did well in that fight. He's very explosive. He's a good athlete. You know, he's unpredictable. I think that, uh, you know, he, you see him kick up high. I mean, he's a full-size heavyweight, you know, 265 pounds. He, uh, you know, has no lack of flexibility. He can jump. He can spin. Uh, if he got into a better camp, and I'm not not knocking the camp that he's in now, but I think that you've seen that he just had a lack of technical firepower coming back. You know, he resorted to just throwing one shot at a time. Just did it land? Did it land? You know, and that's something that anybody at the very beginning of their career is capable of doing. Mm -hmm. He's falling back on his attributes, got him to that fourth round more so than his technical prowess. And that's something that could be built upon. I think that his cardio and his technique, those can be worked on. I mean, you can't make a guy have his vertical, have his flexibility, have his explosion. Um, you could only build so much, but you have the uh, a, an endless amount of ability to improve your technique. I mean, it's really the one area that really is in your control. I mean, that's why I always say that I'm such a fan of Damian Maya. Yeah. There's a huge example of a guy whose technique is basically all self, you know, uh, you know, he's earned every bit of what he's able to do because he's not a world-class athlete. And look, now he's challenging for the welterweight title. Uh, so, you know, that's pretty much what I, uh, barring just a freak shot occurring, um, I, I didn't see how Derek was going to be able to overcome the technical prowess of Mark Hunt. And, and I know people listening can sit there and go, well, what camp's Mark Hunt? And I'm like, yeah, but Mark's been in a lot of great camps over the years. He's 43 years old now. He doesn't really need to develop at the level that Derek does. Derek needs to go ahead and, you know, go over into Phuket, you know, into a camp where there's a lot of other guys that are tougher. Go down to the American Top Team, you know, uh, uh, the AKA, somewhere where there's other guys that are going to put it on him. I feel that he's just too comfortable where he's at. And, uh, and I hope that he realizes that retiring is not the answer. Because he really is, he's only scratched the surface, I think, of what he's capable of doing. Um, I didn't see him at this stage of his career able to beat Mark Hunt. But, you know, anybody watching, I mean, you can be a hater, but you can look at it and go, wow, Derek has a lot of upside. And that's what I saw in the fight. I still see a lot, a ton of upside. I just think that, uh, you know, now it's time to, uh, he has to make a decision. Do you want to be a married guy, father, you know, uh, you know, and you, you can have those things. I had those things. But you know, let's just be honest. They have to come second. You know, my mm. wife knows that during the peak of my career, her and the kids had to make adjustments according to my career. Mm. If he wants to make that decision where 
the, his career comes first, I think that he could make another run and, and possibly, you know, one day hold a, a title in the UFC. If he chooses not to, it's too much hard work, you know, and, and, and he realizes the effort that's going to have to be behind it. He doesn't want to pay the price. Well, you know, he's always going to be a good fighter. He's dangerous. He has long reach. He's explosive. He's never going to be one of the best, though. What do you think about the cardio aspect? Because he, you know, he hung in there for first couple of rounds. Um, but then really starting in the third, uh, was, was gassing severely. And, and I I say severely, I mean, to the point that he had his, his back against the cage, which is, of course, is not where he wanted to be and had his hands on his hips as Mark Hunt was closing range. You said it better before. How did you say it better? I, you said you know you're gassed. Oh yeah, when yeah. You have Mark Hunt yes, yes. stalking you down, and you'd rather put your hands on your waist. <laughs> then yeah, I mean it's worse than dropping your hands because because you know you drop your hands. Uh, maybe you're trying to bait them in. You got your hands on your hips. You're telegraphing the fact that you've got no more energy. Yep. And I mean to me, that's standing in front of a oncoming train. I Here's mean, the thing about fight cardio that people don't understand. Typically, um, when you fight somebody or you're put in a war. There is nothing that I've ever seen. I don't care. You can do Tabatis. You can do sprinting. You can do whatever you want to do. It does not simulate what it feels like to be scared or to be, you know, that, that nervous adrenaline dump during the fight yeah. and have to battle your way out of it. The only thing that simulates that is tough training where you have a guy in front of you in practice that is capable and is trying to knock you out or choke you out and it creates that 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 honest to god fight you know sensation um you can't simulate that through there's no machine that simulates it there's no training regimen that really deep down inside i mean gets you there's a psychological aspect to that type of cardio that is not physical Mm. and if derek is not training against people that put him in that situation he very well may be able to jump i've trained with guys like that that if we both get on a treadmill they put it up at a degrees and they're sprinting 30 seconds on 30 seconds off and they murder me then all of a sudden we start sparring and we go at it and then the adrenaline hits we get in a war and all of a sudden you just see them crashing because i've been in wars so i know how to get through it my body knows okay this hurts it's not unfamiliar. I know what we're going to have to do to get through this. Mm-hmm. Derek was probably feeling that probably for the first time in his career. Mm-hmm. He's facing Mark Hunt. He has that adrenaline dump, that oh shit factor hits. And even if he had decent cardio, he might have been able to run, you know, let's say he's running three miles in 24 minutes. And for a guy his size, you're like, wow, that guy's in shape. You know, it's like, it's not the same. That's why having sparring partners matter. Now, where that factor doesn't matter anymore is Mark Hunt. Mark, no matter what, he's been there so many hundreds of times under live fire that he probably could just get into a shape by getting into a pool because his body's familiar with it. And, and one way I can explain this is everybody that probably trains jujitsu, you know, a sport that everybody, you know, a lot of our listeners have in common. Uh, you can be in the gym and be in decent shape. Get on the cardio machine, maybe go run with your friends, and you you can have a heart measure machine and say, okay, well, I'm at 90% of my max heart rate. I, I kept it there for a minute. I dropped down. I'm doing interval training. Then you go roll with people. Do you ever notice that when you're not scared or you're familiar with whoever you're rolling, even if they're better than you, you can roll for a long time. 
But then that new guy comes through the door. The guy that signs up. He was a purple belt somewhere else. He's now moved. He's going to train in your gym. And now you're the first person who's going to roll with him. Mm-hmm. How many times all of a sudden a minute into it, you're like, oh, my God, I'm not in shape. It's like, mm-hmm. no. There's a psychological aspect to cardio that as you get older, you get accustomed to it. But when you're younger, the only way through that is to be, you know, that's why I'm big on guys doing jiu-jitsu competitions or amateur kickboxing matches to get a lot of compete competitions under their belts. Yeah. Because there's nothing I can do in the gym, very little, that'll simulate that except for, I mean, now that I've really entered in the world of boxing, boxers actually have that figured out a little bit more than we do. Where if you watch an MMA training session, we walk in the gym, everybody's happy with each other. We're kind of familiar. Then we train hard and we are training hard. But when I go into the gym, I remember even sparring Bermain. Bermain Stavern, right? Former mm-hmm. uh, heavyweight champion. I would go to spar with him. And on the days that I knew that it was hard sparring, I could walk in. We wouldn't talk to each other. He wouldn't even fucking make eye contact with me. He acted like it was a real fight. And I caught on real quick that, oh, we're simulating a real fight. Mm-hmm. He stayed on his end of the, the uh, uh, gym. I stayed on my end of the gym. We wouldn't even talk to each other no matter what. It wasn't like, well, hey, how are you feeling today? Oh, my back's a little tight. I'm going to you know, loosen up a little bit. No, nothing. Just like a fight. Our trainers would talk to each other like, okay, how many rounds are going today? We're going to go this many. Okay, boom, mm-hmm. boom. All right, done. Uh, opposites in the corner. Until the sparring session was over, we treated it like a real fight. And it gave me the same anxiety and just like kind of like, oh, shit, my sinuses would open up. I get that focus. It would simulate. I'm like, wow, this is the closest I've ever came to simulating a real fight. Mm. And it gave me that adrenaline dump. And normally when I can go ahead and out of shape, I can spar three or four rounds no matter what, three-minute rounds. I'd go in there, and after the first round, go, oh, fuck, man, I'm tired. I'm like, wow, this this is awesome. This is simulating a real fight. But uh, going back, you know, a long-winded answer, but that's what Derek... Derek needs to move into a different area or bring people to him. I mean, I'm okay with that too, but you really see somebody, I mean, the one punches that he was throwing, the the kind of kamikaze shots, he's capable of so much more. Mm-hmm. really is i mean if, if derek you know shit if i ever decided to go in full training mode just train people if you said hey do you want to train derek or mark hunt i'm like well mark is pretty much peaked out he's a great mm-hmm. fighter but i mean what am i really going to show him derek i'm like oh shit man i can show that guy a lot of stuff yeah this guy could really really be good you know i mean we're going to get some guys you know training sessions if he's really willing to buy in and you know and, and for months at a time put his wife at number two then this guy could be number one now what is there something genetic to the cardio aspect of um i'm trying to say i'll put it this way like a heavyweight fighter is there just something about maybe a certain heavyweight fighter and and their genetics that despite athleticism and a lot of other things that they have going for them that that aspect of of getting gassed halfway through the third round or at least being extremely predisposed to having it happen to you is there is can some kind of training fix that or is there well, something no, there's that only just, so much you can do yeah i think i've touched on this in past shows i mean it's like you and i i could not there's no technique train regimen that i can show you that you're like frank i really want to pull 700 pounds on a deadlift I'm yeah like, rich man i mean just those cards aren't you know i mean that's not in the cards for you buddy yeah. you know i mean like 
whatever you deadlift now, I can help you improve your deadlift. But I mean, we can go work with Nick Best or whoever, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul from Angry Joe. You know, we can get different guys that are powerlifting experts. Uh-huh. You're never going to get to that level. And same thing with cardio. You, it's just like, I mean, we see it in other sports and it's funny. I always harp on this. Martial arts is about utilizing what you have and you try to build on it, but you can't create something that's just not there. You know what I mean? If you have a 67-inch reach in the heavyweight division, you're probably not going to be able to fight like Lennox Lewis. You know what I mean? Just like, it's not there, you know? But what we can do is how do we use your tools to the best of our ability? Mm -hmm. And uh, what you're asking is, you know, sometimes cardio, just like certain athletes, like Usain Bolt, right phenomenal 200 meter runner 400 meter runner switched over into the hundreds you know uh, now he's one of the most prolific sprinters of our time um he can't win a gold medal in the olympics at, at the mile at the 1600 right it's not from a lack of trying it's not because well you know he just needs to get more cardio there's so much behind physiology about what your muscle tissue your your energy uh, output some people just have capabilities of VO2 max that other people don't have. Uh, and the idea is to learn how to utilize what you have and fight well. There is no perfect scenario uh, that I can think of. You know, some guys, you know, it, it's kind of like Yoel Romero. There's a guy, for example. He is a cornerback, safety, linebacker type in the NFL. The guy is phenomenally explosive. Uh, I mean, look, the guy's 40 years old, you know, he passes every USADA drug test, you know, or, you know, except for the one that, uh, <laughs> that he took a tainted supplement, but the guy that's, that's natural. You can't tell me he's on anything, you know? Uh, and, but he doesn't fight like Chris Weidman does, who has more of an output of energy. Chris Weidman doesn't have his explosion. It's not from a lack of effort from Chris doesn't lift enough and Yoel doesn't train hard enough. Mm-hmm. Yoel is a training freak. The guy trains almost every day, but he's never going to be able to land six significant strikes a minute. He's just never going to hit that average because his muscle fiber makeup to fast twitch to slow twitch, his uh, red blood cell count, VO2 max. There's just so many factors that go into what makes you an athlete that, he, you know, that Yoel will never be a, you know, a, a clay guida. He's never going to just come at you and just motor you down. It's just, mm-hmm. He's not. But I can t- take Yoel and go, okay, well, this is how we're going to fight to your strengths, how we're going to try to hide our weaknesses. Uh, a good example of that was Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, when he was younger, had a phenomenal output, right? Really threw a lot of punches, you know, tagged the shit out of people and just overwhelmed them, right? But then after his jail sentence and he came back, he was a little bit older he couldn't keep up the same workout pit that he could when he was 22, 23 years old. So instead of going, shit, I'm screwed, I need to retire, he goes, okay, I will fight for the first 30 seconds of a round, and I'll fight for the last 30 seconds mm-hmm. around. I'm going to take the first, the, the middle two minutes mm-hmm. and basically just be elusive, tie the guy up. He did a great job of always pulling on people's necks and making them carry their weight or making them miss. Mm-hmm. And so that was that is a sign of a martial artist. Sugar Ray Leonard won some fights like that too toward the end of his career. Same way, yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard when he was with Ray Hagler, right? The yeah. the fight they Marvin. talk about Marvin, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. uh, how you know Leonard was always known as a great boxer technician. All of a sudden, going into the later rounds, he's like, "Shit, I'm losing." Yeah. He switched it up, you know, and, and that's what I think is important about a martial artist. So Derek could, but he needs to like I would work with Derek and like, okay, not every punch 
can you have the energy reserve? You know, it's, it'd be like me saying, okay, we're going to squat today. How many times can you squat at 90% of your max? Probably not a lot. You're going to squat it once and then probably take three or four or five minutes of rest. I'm like, okay, you know what we're going to do though instead, Rich? You might do that 90% squat and in between, we're going to do 10% of your max squats. Mm. Okay. So that way at least we're still squatting. So technically it's all right. Well, we squatted now 10 times in a three or four minute period, mm -hmm. but only one of them was a really hard one. And that's what Derek needs to kind of realize that you saw it with Hunt, much more experienced striker. Some of the punches that Hunt was throwing in combination, even left hooks and right hands, they didn't have his full energy expenditure behind. Mark couldn't fight if he threw at the intensity of every punch that how Derek was, he also would have gasped. But there's a guy that's experienced, knows that, okay, I'm a heavyweight. I can only max out so many explosions. Let me hide those explosions behind motion and other punches that are decoys or setup shots. You know, And then when I, I, I see an opening and it's going to count for a lot and be a high percentage low risk maneuver let me go ahead and fire a, you know one with a little bit of heat on it, you know you can't yeah. you know that's why a closer in, in baseball uh, you know they're known for being high velocity pitchers right they pitch the last two innings at most in a game because you can't have that guy pitch for six seven innings because you can only throw that intensity for that long it burns you out you have to have a guy that knows how to okay throw a little heat throw now a change up a knuckleball curveball now there's heat again you can't just throw yeah, you're gonna gas, and so that's what Derek uh, needs to develop. Travis, pull up, uh, uh, pull up Travis Brown's Instagram post. Uh, uh, wanted to talk about that regarding uh, Derek Lewis. While you're doing that, yeah, you got my. <laughs> I had to group text. You yeah, week. yeah. While we're while you're doing that, uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that here in a second. While he's looking it up, but in the meantime, Frank, let me ask you: What do you think? Let's talk about what should be next. In my, for me, for Mark Hunt, it's easy. I want to see him fight Francis Ngannou. I agree. I think that's a great fight. You're talking about a couple of guys who are right at the middle well, you of have, the it, top 10. 100%. It's a win-win. If Francis yep. wins, he has a win over a legitimate, you know, uh, contender that's mm -hmm. been you know always you know one of the top guys in our sport in the heavyweight division mm -hmm. and if if uh, mark wins and is able to dethrone the the, the young up-and-coming stud mm -hmm. then now there's a talk of him fighting for another title absolutely put him right back in that conversation wouldn't it so that's what i would like to see uh for mark hunt for Derek lewis now Derek is saying that he's retired uh or he said he that will probably be his last fight that's what he said last night uh, in the octagon, and we'll see if that remains, if that uh, plays out to be true. But there's something, Frank, about this this rash of fighters, and there's been a, more than a few of them now, where it's like they're leaving the sport because they got other jobs or, you know, I mean, in Lewis's case, he's, you know, doesn't want to put his family through it or whatever, but it's just something odd about, it, it, it seems like, I guess it seems like if you're a, if you're a main event fighter in the UFC, you should at least be in a financial position where, uh, you're not tempted. This doesn't really apply to Lewis last night, but in the case of, I mean, the names, the names come to mind like Ally Akenta, who was saying, you know, I'm going to go make more money in real estate than I can fighting. 
Anthony Johnson's probably the most obvious example of this. Loses to Daniel Cormier, and then he's leaving to go get in the pot business. Um, is, is it just a little odd to you? I mean, you know, back, no, in, the, it's, back in the dark ages of the UFC, nobody was making a lot of money, so I kind of see that now, right? But not now. Well, it shouldn't be that Here's way. the problem. is Fighting has always been more of a poor man's ticket to prosperity, right? Yes. That's why if you look during, you know, uh, let's take boxing because it's much older than we are here at MMA. is more established. Yeah. If you go through boxing, like, you know, uh, through the, you know, the 1920s, who the champs were, who was successful. It was whatever cultural group. You know, at one point it was the Irish, then it was the Italians, and then you had, you know, African-Americans through the 60s. You know, you whatever group was the most impoverished at the time mm-hmm. kind of was able to pull themselves. It was an opportunity for a guy to go, shit, you know, what other what other ways am I having to, to be able to buy that nice car? If I get in here and beat this guy's ass. And so fighting and training for a fight and fighting itself is extremely brutal. It's hard. Uh, it's not really a comfortable man's sport. You know, you, it's mm-hmm. not like picking up skiing or, or going and playing, you know, different things. It hurts. It's humiliating. Uh, there's probably nothing that attacks your ego more than fighting because i mean you lose a football game you lose a basketball game uh you know they're games just even in the word we don't call it you know you know you didn't hear someone if we get knocked the fuck out on saturday go oh you lost the game huh buddy you know it's Mm -hmm. like there's something about fighting one-on-one with other individuals that just it's so much more critical so what's happening is is that our sport now is making money for people and so guys are picking it up and taking advantage of it that's why you're seeing some better athletes in the heavyweight division because we're able to show the case that well you know you, you don't have to go play football or basketball you might be able to come over to our sport and make seven figures yeah and so the problem is is that the UFC is get, making people famous and notoriety on the same level with a LeBron James or you know a, a, a Derek Jeter type where it's like wow I know who that guy is he's walking around an airport but the problem is that we're not being paid like that so if you have a guy like this it's like shit this is hard you know, it's rough. And now because of my fame, I'm getting opportunities to make the same amount, if not more money, not fighting. The problem the UFC is having, they're going to have to, it's not that they're not making the money. It's just that they, you know, we've seen before, they don't share the percentage of what they're making. They're going to have to pull back and follow a model much more like football that pays out a larger percentage of what they make. The UFC, you know, I think that we've seen them about 8% of what they make goes back to the fighters. That's a problem. So the money's there. They just need to spread it out more. They need to make it to where at the end of the day, the UFC and everybody on that's wearing a suit, they maybe want to keep 50% of it. And then 50% of the money goes back to the guys that are wearing fight shorts and getting their face kicked in. You know, mm-hmm. those guys, now it's like, okay, well, you know, you won't have an Anthony Johnson who's still a very relevant fighter, extremely dangerous, still someone who's capable of maybe vying for a title. And can make you a lot of money. Makes a lot of money. Yeah, but now it's like, well, I can go ahead and train for a fight and make this amount of money, or I can go ahead and, you know, go to the gym, train, have fun, but now I have a career that'll last me 20, 30 years and I'm making more money. It's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it just it's a strange look, and maybe part of it too. And uh, you know, this is certainly this would be more to an MMA fighter's credit, I guess. You know, we're talking about the history of boxing. I think in boxing, so often we've seen it be someone hanging on longer than they they should have, and we certainly don't want to see that. 
But now in MMA, it seems like, at least here lately, it's kind of been the opposite. Yeah. Where guys are, you know what? It's beyond retiring at the at the top of your game. It's kind of beyond that. Like, I sort of get, you know, okay, you're... You a couple of fights ago, you maybe you had a title shot, and now you slip down the rankings. Maybe you know seven, eight. Maybe right now you're on the cusp of ten. You know, I I, I saw Roy Nelson at a point like that not too terribly long ago, where I looked at it and was like, well, he'd been a, a perennial top ten for so long. Now he's just sort of fallen out of that. And you know, down to his credit, he's gone signed with Bellator. That's probably going to invigorate his career. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is like, I get the point where you go, okay. I may have to work my way back into the top 10 now for the first time in a long time. Do I keep doing this or is this the time to step away? I think maybe that's the individual question that fighter has to answer. It's just a strange look to me when somebody's like ranked number five and is maybe one, if you know, not two good wins away from maybe another title shot, something like that. In Anthony Johnson's case, probably not even that. When John Jones comes back, you telling me no one wants to see John Jones and Anthony Johnson fight. Still a matchup that they could make. Yeah. So anyway, it's just it's just a little little odd to see these days. No, I mean, not if you work it out. It makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, very few guys have my mentality. You know, and I think that there was other guys out there that had that mentality, like B.J. Penn. Mm-hmm. He came from a very affluent family. B.J. never needed money. You know, uh, yeah. for his reasoning for fighting, he fought because he liked to fight, and really, that's kind of always been. My, you know, people ask me like, "Hey, you know, do you still want to try to push for a title? Do you still want to do this?" I'm like, honestly, man, I've never fought for those reasons to begin with. They just occurred. Yeah. Uh, my thing is, I like fighting. I like training for fights. I like being a martial artist. Really, I think my mentality is probably much more relatable than to the average fan. Most people at home, when you go to the gym, you're going to the gym just because you like to go to the gym. And if you sign up for that jiu-jitsu tournament on the weekend, you're not, you know, what, so that you you can get your name in the newspaper? Like, Mm -hmm. nobody but your family is going to ever know. You're doing it for you because you like to compete. That's me. That's why I fight. I like to compete, and I just happen to be lucky enough that – people are willing to pay me a decent living to do so. Yeah. And I think that that's what's kept me able to stay in the fight game and I'll, and I'll fight till they, uh, <clears throat> until someone's not willing to pay to watch me fight anymore. Yeah. On the day that it goes, it'll be like, well, you know, Mrs. Mir comes up to me going, Frank, you know, they're paying you, you know, 10 grand. Uh, you make, you know, more than that, you know, commentating. Let's, uh, yeah. you can't take two months off from your commentating gig to go train for this fight now. It doesn't make financial sense to the family. Then I go, well, shit, you're right. I guess I just retired. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's my going to be my factor. Uh, and these guys are now getting opportunities, you know, because people are well-spoken, they, they have a, a public persona, they can move into other areas and make a good living and not have to, to bleed and go through the same amount of pain. The UFC needs to give incentives. There has to be a reason to why you sit there and go, well, you know, you can go do that or you can make $4 million with us. Oh, okay, well, shit, I'll stay now, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, to Anthony Johnson, he's like, man, I'm gonna make a couple hundred grand a year and never have to get punched in the face. Shit, you know, like, well, guess what? You know, and now, boom, we lost Anthony Johnson. Derek, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the guy's social media uh, presence is very spot on. Yeah. You know, that guy is fucking funny. You know what I mean? Like, I follow him. I like to see, oh, what did he say this time? You know, like, you know, the guy's comical. I think he has a great personality. It's so funny you say that because anytime I, that's how Jennifer came to know Derek Lewis 
was, and you know, being around me and you and our whole group, I mean, obviously she knows a lot more about the MMA than, than the, the average, uh, uh, female bystander. But, uh, she, you know, the name Derek, it's not like that's an opponent you've had or something like that, right, right. but she knew that name. As soon as I started mentioning Derek Lewis, she goes, Oh my gosh, he's so funny on Instagram. Ah. Oh, he's so funny. Oh, I love his post. And so that's, that's how he became known, but you're absolutely yeah, right. I mean, so, I mean, as far as if I had a company and I needed a front man to gain me attention and be a sponsored athlete, it's like the black beast would be a good option, you know? And so yeah. I could go ahead and sit there and go, well, what's our accounting budget? We're going to give this five, 500 grand a year to help market our, our company. Shit, yeah. Derek would be a phenomenal guy to do that. Now you go to someone like Derek Lewis and go, hey, man, you can either, you know, go fight for, you know, what did he make in his last fight? You know, 100 grand? If, boy, I don't know. Let me put, jump in the one, the, just the other yeah, last the other night. night. Fighting Hunt. Mark Hunt. I heard that he renegotiated his deal, so he got a little more money than his contract called for, but I don't know. I have to. I yeah, have we'll to pull it pull up. But I mean, up. let's say yeah. he made, you know, Let's just go out there and say you made 150 grand. Yeah. 150 grand to fight, you know, f you know, hopefully he fights another time before the end of the year. But, you know, look, half goes to taxes right off right. the bat. You know, and you go, you fighters. I mean, at the end of the day, you make 150 grand as a fighter, you're probably putting 70 grand in your pocket. Yeah. You know, by the time you pay people out, you pay Uncle Sam, um, you know, you're not doing well. You know, like people think, oh, 150 grand. I'm like, guys, you don't realize what taxes and percentages come out of that thing. Yeah. How quickly that check just gets whittled down. Um, you know, look, I make 400 grand a fight with the UFC, right? I probably keep a little bit less than 200. About 190,000 is what I, I can put in the bank when I'm done paying taxes and paying off my trainers. Yeah. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden you go, oh, you make it 400 grand. I'm like, no, nah, more like 195, you know, 190-ish. Yeah. Like, really? I'm like, yeah. So now you fight once or twice a year, that same amount of money, you can sit there and go, well, would you rather just shoot commercials and make Instagram posts and be, you know, Derek Lewis could start a fucking podcast. I mean, look at Brandon Schaub, how much money he makes doing Fighter and the Kid. You tell me there's anybody that can offer him Brandon isn't fighting for, you know, and Brandon at the top of his career, Brandon, Brandon sorry, uh, you know, what was he, you know, $150,000 fighter maybe? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think he made it to about fifth or sixth in his rankings. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, so, you know, Brandon was a good fighter. He's a talented athlete. He's a smart guy, but he never broke into that upper echelon that he was even talked for a title contingency. So now you're going to offer him, you know, a guy like Brendan, you would have to offer him a million dollars, basically a fight, yeah. you know, before he would even think about giving up his podcast or taking time away from it and his different media presentation, because that guy makes a lot of money without ever getting hit. So then it's like, okay, we'll make less money and then come get punched too. Shit ain't happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's such a unicorn. I mean, it's like, but see, to me. His situation makes more sense just because of how uniquely smart and and um, and industrious he is. So what I'm saying is, I get why every once in a while, if a Brendan Schaub comes along, uh, the UFC, you know, maybe can't uh, be competitive in terms of keeping him getting punched in the head when he can go out and, and, and do as well as he's done doing, you know, podcasting and, and acting and analysis and all that. I'm talking more about the fighter who doesn't have all that going for him. And they stay well, though. Well, or, but what I'm saying is, or, I mean, I keep using the Anthony Johnson pot analogy, but to me, that's the most obvious one. How can you, how is that guy, Anthony Johnson in a position where given 
how how marketable he is, given you know where he's ranked and how competitive he is, even in a loss to Daniel Cormier like he had, how is there even a question in his mind? You know, he doesn't have uh, he can't go out and do the Brendan Schaub you know number one podcast thing. So at least I don't think he can anyway. I don't I don't I don't mean to uh, marginalize him, but I'm, we haven't seen that. So I'm just saying, how can we've uh, interviewed him? He's not doing a podcast. <laughs> Let's just be honest. <laughs> Anthony has a lot of strong suits and I've hung out with him. Like I yeah. said, we went and rode motorcycles up in New York one time for a Memorial Day weekend and uh very likable guy. But, uh, but I mean, come on, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Anthony hates talking to people like, you know, yeah. like, I mean, come on, we've interviewed him. Like I, I, even when you and I just recently interviewed him, I think, you know, a, a couple months back. Yeah. I made a joke. I'm like, oh, this is going to be rough because he is one of the hardest guys. I know him well enough to know that when he's sitting there and he does that, that media tour uh -huh. that just before he picks up the phone, he's like, you know, if I probably could offer Anthony like, Hey dude, I got three guys over here. going to fuck you up with baseball bats. Or you can sit here for the next hour and talk to people on camera. He'd be like, all right, do you want to clear the beds out of the way? I mean, I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like what a, what a poor choice to make. <laughs> but that's terrible. how much he <laughs> yeah. hates talking yeah. to yeah. you. feel it. I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, I've talked to him yeah. and he said it to me. He hates you know, I mean, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's mo not most fighters' most favorite aspect of your career is having to sell the fight and talk to you know every seven minutes, talk to a new morning show and be amped and, and answer the same fucking questions thirty times in the next hour. Right. But you know, we get through it, and and, and some like it more than others. But Anthony fucking hates it. So that's why with the whole pot thing when he's going over yeah. there, I hear what you're saying. Like, like what is he going to bring to the table for them? I, I, I'm just thinking more in terms of as a company, I just, it's a weird look to have somebody publicly announce that they're taking a job, not only outside the organization, but outside the field. And it didn't seem to be that big of a dilemma for them. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I just, yeah. as a company, I would just want to be in a position where it's like, look, I get if you have personal reasons to make those sort of choices, but I want it to be really, really difficult for you to make, if nothing else, from but a financial the UFC standpoint. Would have to, at this point, the UFC would have to make drastic changes. Yeah. Because here's the thing. They're used to keeping 90% plus of the money made from a fight card, right? Yeah. They're not going to start sitting there going, okay, every fight card... We're going to start negotiating people's contracts according to percentages. You know, you are, you know, if you fight here, you get this percentage, you know, and whatever the card makes, everybody basically gets like pay per view points. Uh, if they did that and fighters started making even on an opening fight card a couple hundred grand, uh, they wouldn't have this conversation. But the problem is that for that to occur, it's kind of like, well, it's like Mimi and Mrs. Mir. Since the day we moved in together, we have a joint account. I don't have a separate checking account. So every dollar I make gets put in the same account that my wife controls. Now, 15 years later into this relationship, if I told my wife, hey, I'm going to go ahead and give you you know, a stipend or allowance or a certain percentage, and it's going to be good money. I'll give you 10 grand a month that's fucking yours. Mm -hmm. But I'm putting the rest in an account for me and the bills come out of that. I don't want to you know, have uh -huh. your own account. What are the chances of that occurring? Okay, hold on a second. I just got an idea. I got a good bit idea for the podcast. All right, how much for you to have that conversation, tape it, okay? <laughs> tape do it. it. No, no, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, and just see how long we can keep it going. We'll do it, we'll do it. I okay. want to do that. You guys will see the look of death. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> that's like the thing. a rodeo, but like, can there's you a lot stay of people, on eight seconds? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people, I mean, you and Jen, do you guys yeah. have the same account? No. 
And that's much more common. Most yeah. people, even married couples, have separate checking accounts, but you're already yeah. there. But to go from giving a joint a bank account and going back. Sure, no, I understand. Yeah. So that's the problem the UFC is going to have. It's like, we're going to have to go to everybody and go, look, I know we have this money cow here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're going to have to start giving money back to the fighters the, more than we're used to. They're going to have a hell of an uphill battle. And until they do, I think that we're going to see a much dr- larger drop in the talent and the abilities of the UFC, and because you have people out there now gunning for them, like the ACB, the Bellator, that are, fuck it, we'll pay you guys. And yeah. so now you have guys that are like, look, we want to be number one, so we're willing to go ahead and make even less money if that's what it takes for us to get those number one guys, those top contenders. You know, right now, I mean, if I was Bellator or ACB, I would be, my, I would be like, hey, how many more fights does Demetrius have? You know, like I would start, I would be sitting there like a sniper ready to pick these guys off. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what is the UFC offering you? We'll double your fucking contract. Even if Bellator goes, well, shit, we're not going to make any money. It's like, well, for now. You're right. For the next couple of years, oh. our profit margin is going to be very limited. Yeah. But in five years from now, when we have everybody and, and the UFC only has Connor, we'll, we'll talk. You just made me think of something. Imagine leaving the organization as champion. Nobody's been able to claim that. Like a Bellator, ACB. Nobody's brought over the UFC's reigning champion in a division. That would be a feather in the cap. Yeah. Like Demetrius is the example that came to mind. Did you see that thing with Dana now? Dana said that Demetrius is not the number one. Yeah, he got demoted. He got he got Imagine demoted that. off of Dana's uh, pound for pound list, and now it's back to Conor McGregor. That was weird because it nobody nothing's changed. Conor McGregor hasn't fought. Demetrius hasn't fought uh, since he you know said that Demetrius was the the pound for pound champ. Uh, that was just yeah. That was, it was kind of uh, well, a little, you know, little telegraph. It's a little obvious. Yeah, right? it's a little obvious. That it's backlash for Dana being pissed at you know Demetrius for speaking out of place. Yeah, uh, you know for opening his mouth. And to me, it was really stupid. Like, I'm looking at it going, oh, come on, man. Please at least, you know, you got to put out arguments that make sense. Like, that one doesn't make it. Like, Connor is not anywhere near the number one fighter in the world, pound for pound. I mean, Demetrius Johnson has records that Connor will never have. Like, let's face it, Connor will never defend the lightweight title 10 times in a row. Right. Connor is an explosive athlete. I think he's very good stand up fighter. In fact, actually, striking wise, the more I watch his fight, my opinion of him is moving up, but he still has huge holes in his game. He still got choked out by Nate Diaz in two minutes or in, in, in under two rounds. You know what the key is? It's with with Demetrius. Demetrius never been stopped in his whole career. Right. Connor's been tapped out multiple times in his career. It's like, you know, again, Connor is a great fighter and he sells more tickets. But if that's our new criteria for pound for pound, who sells the most tickets? I, I, I think to even be in the conversation, it's like this. It's like, and you can say it about Demetrius. Uh, you could say it about John Jones, and and you could also have said it about George St. Pierre, um, maybe even Anderson Silva, uh, although there was some evidence. The contrary, what I'm getting at is, I think to even be in that conversation when you say, okay, but how does Demetrius uh, uh, fare against so-and-so if you can't say, well, it depends on the opponent. Well, it depends on the style. 
Because with Demetrius, you can't say that. You can't no. say, oh, it depends on the style. Is Demetrius, it a wrestler? Uh, is it a striker? The only thing you can say about Demetrius is like, well, what weight class? How much yeah, weight will that yeah, guy have yeah. on? Where Connor, it really is right. stylistically. Right. He fights a really good grappler. He's in trouble. Yeah. Uh, he If he doesn't knock them out. Now, I think that he knocks more often than not the guy out before they ever hit the ground. But, uh, but Connor is not the world beater. That is, you know, if I had to bet on fights, like I don't feel as comfortable betting on Connor going, hey man, you're gonna bet the, you know, your, your mortgage this month on it? Yeah, Connor has it. Well, to, who's he fighting first? I'm gonna yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but with Demetrius, I'll, who's he fighting? I'm like, is it at flyweight? Yes. Fuck, here's the bank. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet the next year's worth of mortgages that he's gonna win the fight. Let's talk about this Travis Brown Instagram post before we move to the uh, undercard because I, I, this came up this morning. Travis Brown posted on his Instagram a personal message to Derek Lewis. Now, keep in mind, uh, Lewis's last opponent previous to Hunt was Travis Brown, and he knocked out Travis Brown. Travis has not fought since. During the lead-up to that fight and even in the post-fight interview, Derek Lewis was calling out the fact that Travis Brown had been accused of domestic violence against his ex-wife. Now, he was exonerated from that. There weren't any charges, and he was reinstated by the UFC. But Derek Lewis was bringing it up in, in interviews and then even in the post-fight speech. Um, so Travis Brown, and, and, and there had been some uh, backstory to that that Derek Lewis's mother had been physically abused by his uh, his father or stepfather, and uh, that 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 was part of you know Lewis's uh, indignation at this. But here's the message as it reads from Travis Brown to Derek Lewis today. It says, "You say you have the most heart in the heavyweight division, but I just watched you quit. You should retire. You brought up false news about me that affected my family." What happened to your mom, no woman should ever have to go through. Miss Lewis, you have my sympathy. I hope your family isn't affected by false accusations or false news like mine was, even though you didn't have the same consideration for my family. I wish the best for your wife and children. Enjoy your wedding on the islands. My home is heaven on earth. Travis Brown from Hawaii, obviously. Best wishes. We know you don't have the heart, but if you have the balls, I'm down to run it back, meaning their fight. So he ends there with uh, basically calling out Derek Lewis for a rematch. Now, you know what? I do agree with Travis in the sense that Derek, I don't think, should have went there. You can sell a fight and you can, you know, and try to uh, motivate people. But, you know, I know in my personal experience that especially domestic situations I try not to weigh in on. Because, look, I do a lot of stuff with the police department. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, you know, we talked about, you know, I'm an expert witness in a mm -hmm. case coming up. Uh, I, I, I deal with people and domestic violence is in a relationship. You don't know a person's relationship. And, and women, you know, and I'm not saying that all women do this or even a small, large percentage, but it does occur where somebody uses, you know, well, he hit me as a way of anchoring in and attacking back at a man. Um so you just don't know what goes on in someone's household. You know, it's, he said, she said, I think Derek has a great ability to sell fights and be marketable. And he could have, you know, uh, gone, you know, and done different things as far as marketing wise, other than talking shit about Travis's 
you know, the allegations made against him, which, you know, Travis is right. They came back. They were found that they were unfounded. You know, I mean, uh, my personal opinion, just to go on that note, is that Travis never beat the shit out of his girl. Um, she was very upset at him for basically trading her in for Ronda Rousey. Uh, you had a girl that was spurned. She was very hurt. And so, uh, you know, shit was said and done to try to hurt him. Um, but that being the case, even, you know, going into it, I don't fucking know. Even if you told me right now, like, Hey, a hundred percent, Frank, you don't think he hit her. I'm like, well, no, I can't say a hundred percent. Want to know why I don't live at their house. I wasn't around them 24 seven. I'm just saying that my personal opinion, looking at the evidence, six foot eight, 245 pound professional fighter versus a five foot three, 110 pound fitness, uh, model, I'm thinking if someone would have hit her, it wouldn't have just been a couple bruises. We would see, you know, come on, let's just, fa- you know, I'm thinking, you know, it'd be like Mrs. Me and Mrs. Mir. If I lost my fucking mind and I decided to attack my wife, it wouldn't be up for debate whether I hit her or not. It'd be like, well, did he hit her? It'd be like, yeah, they're doing plastic surgery. They got to put her jaw back on and, and hopefully they can save her eye. I mean, what physical chances she have if I went ape shit on my woman? Um, it's not going to be bruises on her arm because I grabbed her and shook her a little bit. You know, what I mean, even that, like, I understand that counts as domestic violence, but you know, shit, I don't know, man. People get into f- fights, and I try not to weigh in, and and I don't think Derek should have weighed in there. And now, you know, Travis is upset. Now, I do think Travis is a little bit harsh in saying that Derek showed he had no heart in that fight. I I thought for a guy that was as gassed. And, 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 and difference of technical abilities as he was in that fight. I thought he was still trying. I mean, he still was trying at the end. I mean, him backing yeah, up and, and still and throwing shots. I mean, I want to say, too, it's not like he didn't finish a 5K run. He was fighting Mark Hunt. I mean, let's take that yeah, into account. You know, too. And then, you know, he covered up at the end. And, uh, but I mean, he had nothing left. And, uh, and I mean, even in that fourth round, there were still times that Derek threw some heat at uh, Mark. It just wasn't technically sound it wasn't set up and he was extremely gassed you know so i mean you know but obviously travis is upset about being attacked by uh yeah by uh, derek and i get it you know i mean you know did i think it was out of good taste that you know to hear you just fought travis you know and to me i'm like look man when the fight's over the fucking fight is over i don't understand continually talking shit because at that point you're not selling a fight anymore. You're just really an asshole. I can accept anything my opponent really says to me within, look, women and children, you know, off limits. But, you know, leading up to a fight, I get it. You're trying to sell the fight. You're trying to turn heads to pay attention to us. Once the fight is over with, if you want to continue to act like an asshole, that means you're a fucking asshole. It's like, oh, well, this wasn't about selling the fight. You're just really a dick. You know where, where I draw, where my line is this. Is it something you were convicted of? Because yeah. if you if you admit to it, you know, if you're pleading guilty to it or whatever, I actually don't have a problem with that coming into play. However, I, uh, the, however, if you're no, exonerated on from one. it, then yeah. But accusations are, are just what they are. You can't, I mean, and that's yeah. a great thing about our country. You're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Travis had accusations against him. Uh, I don't even think they were even criminally ever investigated by, uh, right. it was just basically yeah, the UFC investigated. Charges, yeah. But, uh, you know, it cost him money. He got pulled from a fight. Yeah. You know, uh, you know it, it probably, you know, Travis has two young boys. 
not young enough to not know what's going on in the news. Yeah. I think they're like, you know, uh, uh, Ronan and Cage's age, you know? So they knew what was going on. That was being said about their dad. I mean, that's fucked up. And then the part that Derek did too, that I was like, oh, you know, man, I don't agree with that. You know, uh, again, I was like, uh, maybe we could, is when, you know, uh, after, you know, he, he knocks Travis out and he's like, where's Rhonda's fine ass out? I'm like, oh, that was rough. I mean, mm. why would you call the guy's girl? You know what I mean? Mm. I, I don't know. Like that was kind of like insult to injury. I thought it was, above and beyond and especially coming from Derek, who seems to be extremely witty i mean if you're just some fucking idiot i'm like well you're just stupid you don't know better but Derek, through through his social media if it really is him running it he's pretty intelligent you know the guy's mm. clever i'm like come on man i expect more from you mm. yeah and and if to to travis's response here on instagram today i'll say this that if if Derek kind of opened up that that avenue of trash talk whether or not you agree with it then i think it's okay that travis is responding to it in kind you know if he i mean if travis had point had said this stuff unsolicited maybe it would seem a little more uh out of line but i guess what i'm saying is if but then you, you know what you know what you lose you lose the stance of that you shouldn't go there because if yeah. i'm willing to go there too i see not taking the high road yeah it's like you yeah. know it's one of those things where like I think if if I'd have been there at the house of Travis and he's like, hey, I'm going to send this. I'm like, don't. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. You lost the fight. Call him out. I mean, you could have sit there and go, hey, Derek, you know, you know, now that, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, you lost your fight, your win yeah. streak. Don't retire. Why don't you come back? We can do this again. We can fight. Like he could have called Derek out for another fight without having to go into all the other yeah. shit, you know, like, uh, cause if anything, I mean, and I can see some of the responses from the fans, people take it more as all, oh, you know, you're just bitter that he knocked you the fuck out. You yeah, know? Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I am a little bitter, but I'm, you know, and, and he could be upset about that. I think Travis could have went the high road so that that way it looks that much worse that Derek ever went there. Cause now it's like, well, yeah, you want to be upset that I talk shit. You talk shit too. It's just like, mm -hmm. so like, you know, you know, one, you know, the other, like, who cares? That being said, you want to see a rematch? Between the two, yeah. I think the two actually should rematch each other. I thought Travis was showcasing very self, very well in that fight. And, you know, Derek was able to catch him with that shot and on the ground. And, you know, uh, I think that uh, it would be very compelling to go back to it and watch them fight for another time, especially now with all the fucking shit they got going you know <laughs> i was just about to say it's like we just had that whole cover and now all of a sudden you're you're looking at it and you're going well all that being yeah. said they do have an angle to market now yeah they have a huge <laughs> angle you know i mean me as the martial artist yeah, i just want to yeah. see them fight right because i think that if both guys need to improve on their area you know travis needs to be better at watching about you know the the, the punches that are coming mm -hmm. in you know sometimes travis is boxing you know he gets caught with shots he's he's lost fights before where he's throwing a kick and, and a punch comes up and catches him. you know bigfoot silva Derek lewis you know I, I think that you know and then on the ground travis i wish would not just be the escape artist you know i've trained with travis and that's one of the problems he has with his in my opinion mm -hmm. is that travis is very capable of being very good on the ground. He could offensively be very good on the ground, but he's like, no, I'm just gonna get back up to my feet. It's all about stand-up. I'm like, but Travis, you're smart, you're athletic, you're, you're physically gifted. Why, instead of just trying to get back up to your feet, why don't you take advantage of maybe taking someone's arm off. You know, I remember one time Travis even showed me a choke that he has from, uh, from the referee's position, you know, in Turtle. I'm like, holy shit. 
that would choke me out. Like I even told him, like, I'm glad you showed me that because where you were positioning your arms, I would have taken it as no respect to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I would have, you know, put a Tim Elliott type of attitude, like, yeah, you know, yeah, right. And then all of a sudden my eyes would have fucking bulged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think Travis needs to improve on being much more of a well-rounded fighter in all areas, offensively in all areas. And then Derek needs to work on being able to, to, to up his game past realistically you know in i'm trying to say this in a way that people aren't just going to take a sound bite off and go oh there's the insult mm-hmm. but you know tra- Derek's stand up in his ground fighting is much more on an amateur level technical uh, technically he throws one or two shots at a time you one mean, sh- you mean travis no uh Derek lewis oh Derek. okay so Derek, Derek you know yeah. you know You've seen him in fights, like even when he fought the Shamil guy, yeah. two, the fight before Travis, uh, the guy moved and moved around a lot, and and Derek was losing, in my opinion, until he was able to get the takedown and able to impose his size. But Derek Lewis's athletic ability seems to get him past on a lot of things. So if he could raise it up and have, I mean, shit, if the guy would go one, two, low kick, you know, even a combination, or when he he doesn't set up his shots. I mean, there's so many things that he doesn't do technically right. That so both guys could work on things improving to be much more dangerous to the other guy. And and then plus for every other schmuck out there that wants all that fucking drama, it seems like we have it in heaps. Yeah, a couple of uh, things here on the undercard, uh, real quickly. Just jump in here, Frank Feeney comes to mind. Uh, the co-main event: Derek Brunson defeats Daniel Kelly, the judoka. Uh, via KO just a minute and 16 seconds into round one. You know, Brunson came in on a two-fight skid, having lost to uh, Robert Whitaker and then also Anderson Silva. He is a Jackson Winklejohn uh, fighter and changed up his fight camp a little bit, was training with uh, uh, a Muay Thai guy in uh, Atlanta. I think he still he said in the post-fight interview that uh, – uh, Jackson Wink is is always his home, so I don't think he's necessarily <laughs> left the camp, but maybe augmented his camp this time around. And by defeating Kelly, who I think is ranked number fifteen coming in, I mean a bit of a step down in opponents uh, for Brunson, obviously from Whitaker and uh, Silva, but important because you know Brunson is a guy who has been long considered a a top. Uh, you know, middleweight contender. It was uh, it was a chance to kind of reset, get a big dramatic yep. win, and and get back in the get back in the the right frame of things. No, I mean that guy's talented. I think that when he fights well, you know that guy. In my opinion, Brunson's a top five fighter. You know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, great wrestling, great strategy. Uh, you know, hits hard, very explosive. I think the Whitaker fight, uh, he fought very much out of character, uh, and jumped in there on a guy Whitaker who hits really hard and mm-hmm. got caught. Uh, uh, what was his other one that he lost? Oh, uh, against uh, uh, Anderson Silva. Oh, that's right. And shit, I don't know. We, uh, I didn't think he lost the fight, to be honest with you. But uh, that's right. I remember we had a conversation about that. Yeah. Year. So I mean, you know, he came out there and was very decisive in his victory and, and, and caught uh, long left hand. It was nice. It was beautiful. You seen him pump the jab. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly, you know, he extended the lead hand, and but he brought it over, and you never cross block, you know, uh, like that, you know, because you leave yourself open for other shot. But you can get away with that a little bit more when it's southpaw versus orthodox. So I think Kelly might have just made a kind of a tactical error, f- not realizing that, not not that he didn't consciously realize, but mm-hmm. his subconscious is wired to fight guys that are right handed. He did a maneuver that would have worked okay against a southpaw. Because, or against an orthodox guy, because then if he if he taps the jab with his lead hand, you know, 
you can reach over and touch it. You can't reach over with your lead hand and touch someone else's lead hand if it's across your body because now my, you know, for example, if we're both standing southpaw, right side to right side forward, mm-hmm. if you if I reach over with my right hand and I touch your right hand, I'm open, and that's what happened to Kelly for uh, the left straight coming over the top of my right shoulder, right? Because that's my defense over on this half of my face just crossed over towards my left side. Whereas if I'm fighting a guy who's right-handed, who's fighting left side lead, now my right hand can touch his left hand, his jab, and it's on the proper side. The problem is that I think Kelly's brain went, oh, it's a jab, and defended it like such, but he had, you know, you can't do that. You, you can't cross over grips. Dan Hooker defeats Ross Pearson via uh, KO with a, a knee about three minutes into the second round. I think we get a clip of this if uh, Travis can pull it up there. I was about it, as textbook as you can get with a knee on a guy. I mean, that's why there's certain aspects of our game boxing being one of them and you can't do like i'm a big believer now i'm not rolling or any punches you know especially after my last fight with hunt mm-hmm. i rolled a punch and it hit me right in the fucking ear and completely knocked me off uh, my feet but mm-hmm. that's the problem is that when you roll in boxing you know you only have to worry about two hands mm-hmm. whereas in our sport not only do you have to worry about the hands but now you have knees and you know the, the back of the head is you know a little bit you know the ear area can be more open for a shot yeah, it was. Uh, it earned uh, Dan Hooker a fifty thousand uh, dollar performance bonus, and I think we got a little uh, clip here to look at of the knee itself. There it is. Let's go ahead and uh, hit that, Travis. Yep, right there. Let's take a look at the knee. Hooker with the perfectly timed knee to take out Ross Pearson. Take us through this highlight. That was incredible. Even more incredible, they said they specifically worked this because Ross Pearson came in looking as good as he's ever looked. He was bobbing and weaving around the jab of Dan Hooker. And then Dan times this impeccable knee on one of the bobs here and just put Ross Pearson right on his butt. Beautifully timed knee. Uh, one of the most brutal knockouts that we've seen. That's, uh, wow. Yeah, th- this is what makes this sport so... The expression we use more commonly in boxing, when a punch is thrown at you and you slide offline, yeah. meaning that, okay, someone's coming straight at my face and I'm going to put my weight on one leg or the other, you know, and, and drift my head that way. That's called a slip. I slip a punch. Um, we have unders or, you know, uh, uh, rolling a punch is when you drop underneath of it. And typically you do that more often when a guy throws a hook shot, mm-hmm. because hopefully by rolling under it, the guy's weight goes over the top of you. And now you reload it and you're, you're essentially on a shoulder, mm-hmm. uh, and roll slipping punches. I don't think get you very much trouble in MMA guys can throw same side punch, same side kick, meaning that if I throw a left jab and you slide to the outside of it, and now I throw a left roundhouse or a left wheel kick, uh, you could possibly, if you don't have your hands right, that could get you in trouble. But uh, it's the unders, the rolling of the punches that uh, in our sport, because of the knee, I mean, throwing the knee is one of the most powerful strikes we have. And I think that's when you why you when you watch K1 style fighting, you don't see a ton of guys rolling the hand strikes because of that knee that can come up. Tim Elliott, a recent title challenger against Demetrius Johnson for the flyweight title, 
Uh, goes down in defeat to Ben Nguyen. Uh, he is submitted via rear naked choke 49 seconds into the first round. A lot of first round finishes here, and I think uh, we got a little video of this. Seemed to catch uh, Elliot by surprise with uh, with this one, and uh, this was another uh, $50,000 bonus. This one went to uh, Ben Nguyen, and... Uh, hit that clip maybe we figure out it i, I heard that after the fight that elliot's coaches were saying he did not remember the Next sequence that led to the second. choke so he may have been rocked by something leading elliot. up to that but we'll uh, take a look here plan. yeah when caught elliot used to see right there with that head kick and i think that kind of put elliot out of his game maybe a little out on his feet you go to what's instinctual when you're a little bit rocked so he went for a head and arm throw he gave up the re-roll and his back, and Wynn, being a great ground fighter himself, was able to capitalize. He got the hooks in, and he looked for the choke, immediately wasting no time in getting a, a quick tap. That's you know, the it, same Misha thing Tate that there on the know. analysis, our guest on uh, the last episode of Phone Booth Fighting. I'm going to go back and listen to that when she was in the bunker with us. What do you think? I mean, obviously, uh, Elliot caught by surprise there by Nguyen, but also looked like he, he may have been a little scrambled in the head. No, I think that you really honestly, uh, and not to take anything from Ben Wynn, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think that Tim Elliott completely underestimated his opponent. Mm -hmm. I really saw a guy mm -hmm. that kind of almost had a sparring, kind of cocky kind of mannerism to him in Tim Elliott. And that's why when, you know, you just, ah, let me just grab him, you know, and had that been uh, uh, Demetrius Johnson, he would have given up position, rolled to his back like he did with Demetrius. We kept rolling to side control to avoid getting choked, get, avoid getting finished. Uh, but he felt very comfortable letting Ben on his back. He attacked the Kimura for a little bit, stood up. It was almost like he just wasn't respecting Ben, and he paid the price because that guy went is really you know a sound fighter. You saw a stand up, and then that rear naked choke when he slipped it in the head, the hands, everything was picture perfect. Uh, you know you can't at our level of our sport ever feel so comfortable that like well once I get it here, I have the guy. No, and I think Tim Elliott, honestly, if, you know, I know that his coaches were trying to say that he was rocked. He didn't remember the last sequence. But if he wants to be honest with himself, I think he just felt very confident. And fear, as long as it doesn't paralyze you, you know, fear can be the mind killer, right? But a healthy amount of fear keeps you sharp. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a guy that wasn't fearful of his opponent. And that's why I think he suffered such an early submission. He was fearful of Demetrius. That's why that fight was, you know, was good. And even though, you know, Demetrius won every single round, you know, he, he was able to stay in there and weather the storm because every time Demetrius even grabbed for an arm, he respected it. No, 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 you know, screw that, you know. Yeah. Whereas with Ben, Ben was on his back and he's trying to stand up and pull the feet. He was doing things that were that he would not have done against DJ. Well, why? What was the difference? He didn't respect Wynn as much as he respected uh, Demetrius. And guess what? You go five rounds with the champ or you get choked out in a minute. The difference was really honestly is that, you know, obviously Demetrius is, is better than Ben, but but because you didn't respect him, you basically got caught. Ion Cutalabra uh, against uh, Enrique De Silva. Uh, Cutalabra uh, defeated De Silva uh, via KO 22 seconds into the first round. And with that, every fight on this main card had a finish. And uh, what uh, one, two of them were uh, first round finishes. Is that right? Two of them first round finishes, and uh, and then uh, uh, one of them uh, 
No, three of them were first-round finishes, and another of them second-round finish. So it's kind of one of those cards where it's like, you know, you had marquee name value at the top with, with Hunt and with Lewis, but there were – it's kind of a sleeper card. You know, it was one of those where if you just looked at it on paper, there wasn't uh, just a ton of super exciting names, but ended up being a pretty exciting night of fights. Well, and I think that's why that you had such exciting fights is because, you know, a lot of times when you get those named guys fighting each other, they go to decision. They 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 nullify each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why sometimes watching cards where guys uh, are, are not on that level and there's more of a mismatch, and that's what occurred here. They grabbed a lot of guys that, you know, that probably wouldn't be in the UFC or fighting on a card had that been in Vegas. Mm-hmm. But it, because it's in Auckland, they had a lot of the uh, local guys trying to you know divide for positions. So you saw much more mismatches. Which, as far as excitement to the fans mismatches make more exciting fights because you get to see someone get knocked out submitted sometimes watching it and you know this for a fact because guys will go that was a boring fight and i'm like really that was number one and number two guy going at it they just they were battling it just that they couldn't you know one guy was faking the other guy shifting this way they they were trying to vie for position so guess what Sometimes watching really tough, whether it's a judo match, wrestling match, boxing match, MMA fight, you get the best guys when two guys are evenly matched. It can be boring to your fans that are looking just for highlight reels. The buildup to the Vanderlei Silva Chael Sonnen fight next weekend intensifies, (laughs) and we'll talk about that momentarily after we tell you about Earth's Brew. That's right. Earth's Brew. Go beyond alcohol to a state of relaxation and mental clarity and get in the present with Earth's Brew. If you watch the show on our Phone Booth Fighting YouTube channel, you see the ever-present box of Earth's Brew right here on the table uh, next to myself and Frank. Just 15 calories per serving. It's all-natural, plant-based. No artificial sweeteners, just comes in a little powder packet. You mix it up in some water. A great way to unwind maybe right before you go to bed, or as you have mentioned, Frank, also a good way to unwind after an intense uh, jujitsu training session. It has been. Uh, Late at night, I'm not known as a night guy, uh, or excuse me, a morning person. Uh, At nighttime, my brain just seems to turn on, and I start pulling off different thoughts and ideas, and I think you've been at the the, the brunt end of that sometimes when I'm texting you at 2 in the morning asking you questions about uh, Theresa May, you know? Yes. But uh, now, you know, I I make sure that 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, I have this with my water that I have by the bed, my real water, and uh, I mix it here with the Earth's Brew, and it's helping me get to sleep uh, much easier. You can get 10% off right now, an exclusive offer from Earth's Brew for our phone booth fighting listeners. If you go to earthsbrew.com and put in the promo code phone booth, 10% off all orders at checkout, an exclusive offer for phone booth fighting listeners. Go to earthsbrew.com and enter the promo code phone booth for 10% off. The next evolution is here. Get in the present with Earth's Brew. Yeah, and it was great to see actually Misha on the uh, you know the pre and post fight uh, Fox card. Uh, she's really great at breaking the fights down. And and one thing actually I really even made me respect her a little bit more is that she was open to dialogue. Like when she was on our show and we all had to pick Hunt or Derek, she picked Derek uh, Lewis and she stated her case for why. Then I stated my case for why I thought Mark Hunt. And the fact is that then she gets on the show and she picked Hunt. But and 
I don't think it was more, you know, I, I attest that to like, that is awesome. Shit, I'm going to, I'm like that. You sit there and if someone gives you new information, you sit there and go, shit, I'm going to change how I think. Whereas I do it to you all the time. Yeah. I'll, shit. <laughs> no, all the time. It was like the Trump issue. Uh, you know, there was pros and cons of Donald Trump that, that, I, you know, that I, I seen across the board. I'm not blind. You know, when people go, well, you know, you know, this, that, you know, I'm like, yeah, I see it. But you know, I was really harping or I really held on to the fact I'm like, shit, I'd really like to see the government or our country ran by a, a businessman. And then, you know, you were there telling me, Frank, no, it's not a good idea because a country can't run like a, a business, maybe a nonprofit. And you stated why. And now as it's gone through, I've looked at it going, Fuck, man, you were right. I can see now this point, that point, but th- and that's difficult. And I and I wish more people would do that, even yeah. on slight little things where you sit there and you point something out and you're like, and lay out your case. And you know, I think it's okay to jump back and forth on subjects and topics as information comes. Like I always hate that about you know politics when someone goes, well, they used to think this and now they say that. I'm like. What you mean they developed or they grew as a human being? Like, you know, if you'd have asked me about the death penalty when I was 20 and you ask me now, you're going to get two distinctly different answers, mm. both backed up with articulate thought process and, and strategy and why what led me to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten older, I've changed and shit, I might change again. Uh, you know, and so uh, when Misha did that, you know, and picked Hunt and, and, and some of the reasons why, I was like, fuck, man, good for her that, you know, she could be here on the show and have an opinion and I could point out why I think it's this way. She could have sat there and go, well, fuck, I'm a world champion too. You know, I'm an experienced martial artist. Fuck you on what you think. But instead, she honestly was listening to what I said and evaluated and, and obviously came to the conclusion that what I said sounded good and she went with it. She said, actually, the, fuck what you think. She said that to me out by the car afterward, but she didn't want to say that while yeah, she was who here. Who the she, fuck does that guy think he is? Than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the fact that, you know, I'm several weight classes above her probably wouldn't yeah, be a pretty yeah, grappling match. There's that. I wasn't intimidating her, that's for sure. Um, well, you know, you, you mentioned Donald Trump. Now, uh, this was a big week in politics because – uh, James Comey, the now former FBI director, testified to Congress. It was uh, quite explosive, and he said that uh, Donald Trump had called him to the White House. He had uh, asked him on several occasions, hey, how about you let this whole uh, Mike Flynn Russia investigation dive by the wayside? What do we need to do to uh, have that happen? Uh, Comey said that at one point, which is what a businessman would do. Yeah, that I mean, sounds like a business. Absolutely. Game. That listen, that is that's turns out to be part of the problem here. But a, a businessman is absolutely going to think that everybody in his office works for him. That's true. Well, all and, things have a price. He worked a deal. Yeah, you know, the, you know, that was Trump working a yeah, deal. Yeah. All right, you know, what? Do, this is what I want. Yeah. What do I have to do? What do I have to give you? to get what I want, you know, what do you want, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then, but with government, it doesn't, it should not work that way. The more I'm looking at this, it doesn't need, cause that's when you get corruption in government where it's like, well, yeah. well, why'd you vote this way? Well, because these guys are funding my campaign or why'd you vote that way? Well, cause they have a job waiting for me when I'm done. It's incentive. Where in government. It should be, well, why did you do that? Well, because they deserve clean water. And if I would have voted the other way, I would have screwed over all the people that couldn't afford bottled water and now they're drinking tap water and now we have Flint, Michigan all over again. Mm -hmm. Like you can't go that way. So Comey was actually a government official not thinking like a businessman going, I'm sure if if Comey was a little bit more business savvy, 
he would have taken Trump up on his deal. He would have been like, shit, okay, well, you know, if you want me to let off of Flynn, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind that, you know, I, I become a part owner when I retire in, in this uh, Trump Towers you have over there. Why don't I go ahead and run all the security? Wouldn't it be good, uh-huh. the former FBI agent, yeah. I become the director of all security for all Trump. I want your contracts all to go through me. All right, that's if he was more business savvy and less concerned about a prison sentence because well, that... I mean, because that- it's him versus Trump now, and obviously Trump, uh, you know, he already basically at that point opened the door to, you know, uh, you know, you can't impede a criminal investigation. I mean, you're, you're talking to the fucking director of the FBI. You better be sure the guy's corrupt. You know, me being pulled over like, look, when I'm out of the country, there's certain countries that I understand uh-huh. that the police officers, when they pull over a foreigner, I know what they're looking for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. And if we ever have conversations and you're traveling uh, around the world, I can tell people what countries I've been in that when I've been pulled over, I know they don't give a fuck about my license or my passport. They want 20 bucks. Some countries, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, they want, I got to grease the police officer so that I can get the fuck out of there. It is the way it is, right? But I know that I never do that in the fucking U.S. There's other countries that I realize that if I'm like, hey, here's my license and here's 20 bucks too, I know that I'm probably getting yanked the fuck out of the car and I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to jail now, you know? You got to know what you're working with and that's the part that kind of shocked me with Trump. It's like, did you have any intel that would have told you that, okay, this guy Comey is a fucking, he's on the take, he's corrupt, He's uh, he doesn't realize how to do his job but if anything it's like you know i mean did you find out that he was paid to reinstitute that investigation on hillary yeah you know maybe if that was the case maybe if it's like well i went to you and told you during the uh the the uh, the, uh election process you know hey it'd be in your best favor if you were to open up these investigations on hillary again so maybe he already had that rapport but from what it looks like to me, he doesn't have shit on Comey because if he did, he would have released it already to discredit Comey. Comey seems to be a fucking straight shooter. He should be what the FBI director job entails. He seems to embody that. And all the people under him and the new FBI uh, director seems to, you know, I, I don't know if he's been officially, you know, has a job yet or he's still just acting director. But the, the new guy, when he said that he goes, absolutely, Comey has is respected and 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 looked up to in our in our uh world of you know all the other fbi guys it's like this guy seems to be a pretty straight shooter why would you ever fucking you know why would you try to like what you just did i mean and i'm there's no way that trump in his 70s is not aware of what impeding a you know that, that what he did is illegal like you know again it's like I know that if I, you know, if you and I get into a gunfight or, you know what I mean, we're out, somebody tries to rob me and we get into a shooting and all of a sudden you're like, hey, Frank, you know, why don't we, uh, you know, this guy here, you know, he was over here and, you know, but it looks like I realize he's innocent, but why don't we make it, you know, really enti- you know, let's push the, uh, the, the scene to make it really look like he's guilty. I would tell you like, hey, Rich, you can't, you know, you can't fuck with a crime scene investigation. Like that's against yeah. the law. Even though we're in the right, you can't even fuck with it. You can't sit there and go, well, and I wanted to make sure it really looked like, you know, and I'm like, don't touch shit, man. You know, like, and so Trump, it's like, why would you tell the, 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 the head of the FBI to l- stop an investigation and get off of Flynn? Like you can't do that, especially as the president, you know, it looks like you're trying to, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, I think everybody realizes what, you know, that Trump is doing. 
the the biggest benefit of the doubt I think you can give him at this point is that uh, to me it's one of the very things that that made him unelectable in my eyes to begin with is the fact that there is zero political experience and all the experience comes from business because he treated that situation just like a businessman would treat it. You know, all these people work for me. That's mistake number one because uh, the the attorney general. Uh, and the FBI director work for justice. They work in the Justice Department. Their job is not to further your political agenda. So that's a miscalculation. But then secondly, uh, the idea that you don't realize, uh, again, giving the, the biggest benefit of the doubt that you can, that you don't realize what's improper about this. You know, uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said this himself this week. He said, well, he's new with this. There's that no was way. his defense. No, but no but way. let me just say, even if that is true, do you see the problem? You can't say about the President of the United States, well, he's ways. new at this and he's inexperienced and cut him a break. It, it, well, because you're supposed to have, you're supposed to understand all of this long before you become President. Because basically you're giving people two choices. You're either saying, I'm stupid and I didn't know, mm-hmm. or I did know and I purposely was being you know, uh, deceitful. Right. You know, there's times I do that to my children. They do something. I'm like, okay, so either A, you didn't know, you weren't supposed to do that. So tell me that you just don't understand how this works. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, basically they have to open the door that you're not bright enough to figure out this. So we're going to open up that avenue of attack. Or they can sit there and go, well, I knew better, but I chose not to do it. And with Trump, you know, with Ryan saying that, like, it's like, okay, you either have to A, say that Trump is not intelligent enough to understand what's going on. But holy shit, you're the president of the United States. You don't get to have that. If that is going to be your stance that you just, well, you're new to this, you don't know better. That's the guy that has the fucking uh, codes to our fucking nuclear launch. Right. Holy fuck. No, then, you know, we need to talk about impeachment because you're just of just uh, of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking Re- for when you can't do a job, you're inadequate. Incompetence. You're incompetence. Re- regardless. So if incompetence is the word we're going to go with, then holy shit, we got problems. Yeah. But I think more or less that he was being deceitful. But I think a businessman, they know that. You know, he has, let's say, on one of his properties, the EPA comes over to do an investigation on their you know, waste disposal. And they're like, well, we're not happy with how you're doing. This is going to be a fine if you don't fix this. Trump's the kind of guy that was like, well, you know, what do we got to get to make this go away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, there, and there, you tell me Trump doesn't know that's illegal. There's a whole nother world of business where that sort of thing goes on all the time. But in in politics uh, that and not to say that it doesn't go on in politics, but it uh, the difference is uh, in politics, it can get you in a whole lot of trouble a whole lot faster. Uh, on and, a side note, incompetence. Yeah. What about fucking uh, uh, McCain? Well, that was odd. So, do you think so, that now he's just a little too? I mean, there might be medically. I mean, yes. just like you know, there's people I yeah. see on the road that I'm like, and I pull up next to him, and they're driving like a fucking idiot, you know, swerving lanes, don't hit the blinker, they take a left from the right lane, you know, yeah. what I mean, just doing. And then I pull up, and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, it's some ninety year old individual. Yeah. And I'm like, and I even think, in my opinion, that at a certain age, I think that you need to take the driving test 
you know, even if it's every two years, we just need to do a check on you. Sure. It's a privilege to still drive a vehicle, and it's still very dangerous if you're not capable of. I have seen a few individuals that, due to age, are not capable of safely functioning a uh, a vehicle anymore. And and maybe McCain just isn't, you know, I don't know, shit. He just seemed a little off mentally. John McCain was a part of the questioning of James Comey at the, the open hearing, and he used his time to basically and singularly focus on the fact that Hillary Clinton was not still being investigated for her use of the private email server, but yet we were doing this investigation on Trump, and he saw that as a double standard. Comey was saying, well, we did the investigation on Hillary Clinton. We've concluded that. Yeah. We're, we're, we're more in the beginning stages of this other one. That's why they're not both still going on. McCain himself was asked about that later and said that he probably should not stay up so late watching Arizona Diamondbacks night games. <laughs> that was it. But I, I think he probably just had a rough morning. I agree. What, yeah, it just seemed off because, again, like it seemed yeah. like it was pretty simple. Even what you laid out right now. The Hillary Clinton investigation, it was carried out, and then it was even reopened again, yes, yeah. according to new information found when with the what's her name's husband and the you know the uh, the the laptop Anthony you know and all Weiner, right yeah. <laughs> fucking Weiner, <Yeah. laughs> the dick that keeps fucking shit over. No kidding. <laughs> and so uh, you know, so that made sense. I think the only thing that could have been invested, I, I don't know, like the fact they reopened that up again just before the election, I thought was suspect. It always just looked weird, but yeah. hey, you know. Comey obviously, you know, is just a by the numbers kind of guy, and if it needed to be done, he did it when it needed to be done, and didn't wait till after the election. Uh, but, uh, but the investigation with with Trump and any kind of Russian collusion, that's still being carried out. I mean, the guy Flynn is all you know. I mean, like fuck, like I didn't understand even the beginnings of that rant mm -hmm. of like how the two can, you know. Yeah, it was it was, it, and unfortunately, uh, you know, McCain probably could have made much better use of that time because he's kind of been a, an important voice in this whole thing. But uh, for whatever reason, just just had a senior moment, just had one of those bad days. Now, Trump was asked about the, in the wake of the Comey investigation, it did the joint uh, news conference in the Rose Garden with the president of Romania. He was asked about Trump's, about uh, Comey's testimony. Uh, Trump refuted that. He said that what Comey said was not true. And then the reporter said, are you saying he's a liar? He said, well, he's, it's not I true. Know, he's saying that Comey lied under oath? Yes. So then he was asked, all right, uh, President Trump, would you go under oath? He said, 100%, I will go under oath. Um, so we'll see. I mean, he also he also said that 100% uh, the tax returns would be released after the audit was concluded. You know what I can say, 100%? After he got elected, he changed that answer. I bet 100%, uh -huh. and I'm going on record right now. Yes. If Trump testifies under oath, he will be impeached. Yeah. They will get him. Yeah. Like, he can't do it. Like, like. Trump, there's no way, and you and I were just talking about it, even the few ideas I had, you named off about five more. What are they going to bring up? Now they can, you said what, they'll open the door on the taxes? Oh, they'll get them. Yeah, yeah they, they will like, release, they will subpoena those tax like, returns. There's no way yeah. that he's that dumb. Yeah. To go ahead and go under invest, you know, under oath, because now it's like Trump, you can't lie. You're going to have to be truthful. 
if you lie even a little bit, yeah. you're the fucking president and you're under oath, under, you're going to get impeached. And let's remember, I mean, it's uh, th- th- that historical lesson is, is only a couple of decades ago uh, for us at this point when uh, Bill Clinton had to testify under oath about a real estate deal with Whitewater, and that's how Monica Lewinsky came up. He wasn't called to testify because of Monica Lewinsky. He was called to testify because of the Whitewater investigation. Ken Starr had the Monica Lewinsky uh, information. They asked Clinton about it under oath. It mm-hmm. surprises him. He lies about that under oath. Now they've got him lying under oath about something that had nothing to do with what the whole original focus was. And that same thing can happen to Trump. It will they, can, they can call him in, uh, you know, ostensibly to talk about one thing, but they if they ask him about something else under oath and they catch him in a lie about that, guess what? Uh, that is, uh, uh, that's perjury. That's, that's lying under oath and that's grounds for impeachment. And, uh, you're right. He could, he could find himself right there. I wanted to ask your thought about, cause the thing is before you go there, yeah. Trump is sloppy. He's very confident. He's, he's been very successful in life, but the problem with Trump that I foresee is he's an easy target because he's sloppy he doesn't know what he's saying around who he's saying it he gives out information he says shit he does shit that people are like oh fuck and he you know he has people around him trying to cover up and patch what they can do uh that's why you know grabbing by the pussy got on air yeah. you know like i mean just that he's doesn't he's not a cautious man he's not somebody that looks over his shoulder he doesn't worry about what his actions are going to you know because he hasn't really had to be so you're telling me a guy like that they're going to go and put him under oath and ask him questions there's something they're going to be able to ask him that Mm -hmm. he's not going to want to tell the truth and then they fucking got him you bring up a great point because you know it's easy to say when someone's running for office what what do we always hear somebody do well i'm the outsider you know, my opponent is a career politician. I'm coming in to shake things up. I'm the outsider. Vote for me. Well, you know something that being an insider can get you is a lot of very valuable training in um, in in learning to be cautious. Yes. And realizing that anytime you're on the job, you need to be thinking about words matter. What I say can have major impact. Am I doing this the right way? Am I following protocol? Is there any potential of misconstruing what's happening here? Because you, uh, uh, that, that is how you maintain your competency. And if you if you're 70 years old and you come from a world that not only did you never have to do that, but it's actually been the opposite because you're the, you're the ruler of your kingdom. He's also a reality tv star there's that and that so the the outlandish crazy gets him ratings yes so i mean if anything it's been conducive to his career and his life to be that fucking that firecracker that holy fuck where's he gonna go he's he's just he's the uh the rebel he's the you know the the rogue guy it's like well shit you know a guy like that like when he said that i'm like there's no fucking way there is no way that he goes under oath. There's no way. I mean, if he does, it's the end of his career. Like at that point, I'm like, oh, he's fucked. It's also going to be against the advice of of any competent attorney that he's got with him. Now, what you're saying about the, the being the the game show host brings me to my my next point. Because one of the things that he said in that Rose Garden uh, news conference is he was asked about, look, are there tapes? 
Are do you have a recording device in the Oval Office? Are you recording everyone's conversations? Do you have tapes of Jim Comey? And he says, uh, you'll find out the answer to that in the very near future. They say, well, when? Well, in, in the near future. You'll you'll find out. Now, what he's doing there is he's he's teasing ahead to the next yeah. episode. But you know something? Regardless, look. Is there but, any precedent on that? Uh, is it illegal or legal? Or is it man? I mean, I don't know. Well, it's supposed not, to be recording. I okay. mean, it is the fucking president of the United States. I, I don't here, know. I mean, do they videotape the whole room? I mean, here it is. There's no there's 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 no law against it. However, it's a very sensitive subject ever since Watergate, because Nixon had secret taping equipment in the Oval Office, and he was taping. It's one thing, these you know phone calls with world leaders and all this kind of stuff, that gets taped all the time. But we're talking about just the average, everyday conversation that's going on like between him and a chief of staff or something like that. Nixon was recording all that, and it is his conversations with John Halderman uh, that brought his chief of staff that brought him down. That was essentially the smoking gun that he was fighting the Supreme Court over having to give up those tapes because he was talking about covering up the Watergate investigation on those tapes. So so the, the, the point is, even though it may not be illegal, it's a very sensitive subject. It's like there are certain sensitive things because of our history, political assassination. I mean, you know, we, we just talked about all the, the grief that— uh, Kathy Griffin got well. One of the reasons that she's gotten that is because uh, of the forty-five people that have served as president of the United States. Four of them have been killed doing the job, so we're a little sensitive to that. So my my point is that given that sensitivity and that that you know historical relevance, regardless of whatever you think of all the rest of this political stuff and James Comey's testimony and everything, don't you just have a problem? With the fact that the president is asked, do you have a taping system? By the way, he brought this up. This is him originally bringing this up. Remember the tweet? Yeah, James because- Comey better hope there's no tapes of this conversation. That's what caused people to, answer, to ask the question. And right now he could just very simply say yes or no. And he's dragging this out again, like My it's is to the no tapes. yeah, probably not. But but to the like he's dragging this out to the season finale of the show. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just very cheap. That is just, it's cheapening the office to play a game with something like that, especially when not only you've got an investigation going like this, but keep in mind this has to do with Russia. I mean, this, this has to do with an adversarial world power. And this is how third world dictatorships do it sometimes. But not the leader of the free world. Like this, this, just this approach, whether or not you support him politically or not, I just don't see how you can argue that, that jerking everybody around like this just because you can and, you know, putting on a little show and a smirk and a you'll see and maybe we'll get to it, maybe we won't. It's just, it comes off as cheap. The one thing, too, that I really feel now, especially traveling overseas and looking how people view us and, uh, whether or not you're a Democrat and you agreed maybe uh, politically with Obama, I don't think you felt that he looked like ever looked like a clown. No, he was a statesman. Right. He was very respectful. Ronald Reagan was a statesman. The way he carried himself, the way he speaks. Yes. Like, he, you know, it's like, all right, you know, that's the president of the United States. It wasn't like, really, that's your president? They sounded like presidents. Fucking Trump just through his actions. I mean, it's almost now like 
like you know the jokes that people make about us you know over the you know now it's like man it's almost like they were prophetic you know at the time you know it's like i don't agree with that but now it's like shit we are kind of getting laughed at right and you know what with just a little self-discipline this is fixable because even if that that statesman's language is not on the tip of his tongue he's got great speech writers Mm -hmm. and a teleprompter and with a little humility what he could say is all he had to do is give up his fucking twitter account yes and what he could say is with a little humility he could say you know what i am new at this and i haven't uh had the 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 history of giving all the political speeches like a lot of former presidents have however i am the president i do need to sound presidential do me a favor write Write something that sounds presidential. Here's what I think. I'll go ahead and tell you what I think, and then you as the professional speechwriter can take... You don't have to change my message, but go ahead and, and polish that up. Put it on the prompter. Let me read it at least at least when I am on the international stage. All right, so maybe if I'm at a rally or whatever in front of my... You know, I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe I'll loosen up a little bit. But for, you know, when I'm standing up there with uh, Theresa May or Angela Merkel, let me at least sound like I I belong in, in the arena with these folks, right? Well, I mean... The, uh... Honestly, I think it looks worse too when it's an open format. Like, uh, you know, shit. A couple months back, when he started doing the attacking on what was it, CNN, that fake news, fake news. Right. And just the way he points his mannerisms is almost kind of like I mean, I'm like, shit. I'm waiting for this guy to start going. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. I have the mic and you don't. It's like, holy shit, how childish does you look right now? I'm like, it blew my mind. I'm like, fuck, man, you're the president. You got to act presidential like i don't know like you're bigger than life i mean i don't know i mean i'm a u.s citizen and i just have a different outlook on what our president is supposed to be like but you know i like you know there's, there needs to be like a kingly kind of aura that you you know that you give off that's just like fuck man i mean that's the president you know and and trump just doesn't give it off right now i actually think that the, the the problem is that it's it's a little too uh it's a little too much like a monarchy and not enough like a, a a duly elected statesman because we have a standard for that in this country. I mean, there's, you know, you look at the speeches that you memorized in school, right, from, you know, the Gettysburg Address to, you know, even JFK, you know, FDR, nothing to fear but fear itself, JFK, uh, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. So far, I haven't heard the Trump speech that future generations of kindergartners are going to need to uh, learn to recite. Let's check in with the iTunes reviews. I said at the top of the show that uh, if you go to our iTunes page, just look up Phone Booth Fighting. You do us a huge favor when you click on the five-star review. That helps keep us uh, near the top of the iTunes podcast rankings. And if you have an extra moment or two, then uh, write us a favorable line in the review section. We like to read those on the air like these. We're going to read a couple of these, Frank. Uh, Why don't you read that first one for us? Uh, This one is from... uh Chico Sticks 89, excellent all-around news. Uh, At the times the the name of the phone booth fighting can mislead you to think all Frank and Richard are going to talk about is UFC or MMA in general, but these guys have awesome stories to give and great insight into the USADA deals, brothel mishaps, and political turmoil. This is my main source for MMA news and definitely my go-to podcast to relax. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you so much, Chico Sticks. We appreciate that. 
Bring up another one there, Travis. This one from Showtime Schulman, Frank. He says, pretty awesome podcast. Definitely a fun podcast to listen to, whether you're a hardcore or casual MMA fan. It always makes for some interesting conversations when Frank and Richard drift off the subject of MMA. We just did that, as a matter of fact. It can range from topics such as politics, punk rock bowling, or Richard's tales at the brothel he works at. These guys definitely produce an awesome podcast that I enjoy listening to and help pass the time at work. Keep up the great work, guys. I hear from a lot of people that take us to work with them. That's always a nice well, and, and one actually, to get. That's actually one of my first questions whenever I meet a fan of mine mm-hmm. and they come up to me you know, and we start talking. I'll be like, hey, you know, so what do you do? And it's funny, you know. Uh, the reason why I'm asking, you know, besides just, you know, keeping the conversation going is that when I, certain jobs, people that drive long distances, people that, you know, they, you know, painters or people that work, you know, uh, even physical jobs where they have to, uh, you know, do things, you know, very, you know, like, uh, I always say my, uh, my uncle up in, uh, uh, Boeing, uncle Eddie, uncle Eddie, man, he's an engineer. You know, he has, he has a technical job putting together pieces of, a, of a plane, but it's very routine. It's assembly line type situation where he's putting you know through a two to four week period he's building the same segment of the plane Mm -hmm. you know so he is a person that likes to listen to podcasts he was a podcast listener even before i you know even thought to start doing a podcast so you know if you're somebody who you know you work at the front desk at a hotel probably not going to bring us to work it's gonna yeah uh, but uh but you know individuals that have a lot of time on their hands where they're doing things they don't necessarily have to be thinking and interacting with people uh tend to be great podcast listeners uh, how about another one here, Frank? This one by Anthony North Cow. Uh, really enjoy this podcast. Always been a fan of Frank. Wish you commentated for the UFC or Bellator so I could hear you more. But hey, Anthony, you know I commentate for the ACB. ACB, you'll be doing it this coming weekend. Yeah, twice a month, I'm gone overseas, and uh, you can pick that up. On you can a- watch their fights free on uh, their YouTube channel, ACB. We also... Uh, usually get those embedded on the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page as well. So either go there or the ACB YouTube channel, and you can uh, watch uh, Frank and his uh, co-host Brian Lacey commentate the fights live and free. You know, I think we're actually the best commentating uh, duo right now in uh, MMA. Yeah, he's Uh, really good. No, Brian's Brian's great. In fact, I did a short little stint with Fight Night Global, and, uh, you know, I wanted to do both, to be honest with you. I thought mm-hmm. I could do Fight Night Global, do ACB. Just the more shows, the merrier, the more practice I got. And uh, and then, you know, uh, both of them, I found out, didn't like each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I had to pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, ACB, I mean, there was some reasons why I really wanted to pick the ACB. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that the number one factor was working back with Brian. Yeah. I'm like, hey, man, Brian is phenomenal as the – uh, play-by-play guy and um, you know calling the fights and I and I think that me doing color with him is just you know an added bonus that we bring to the show I think we have great sync together so if you're interested in listening to me commentate and it's really easy on these fights because the ACB does not have uh, you know there are uh, what I always mix it back and forth but it's a you know a, a less show more fight they don't I mean we don't have ring card girls 
They very rarely interview anybody in between uh, fights. The one fight staged, ready to go as soon as one fight finishes. They leave the cage. Within 30 seconds, the other two fighters are in the cage. Mm-hmm. It's fight to fight to fight. You know, and that's all they're about. And some of the best fighters you're going to see around. I mean, they're phenomenal fights. And it makes it really easy for me just to give my technical know-how. But uh, back to Anthony. I'm sorry. I finished for you. Thanks again for taking the time to do this podcast. Thanks for the entertainment. Anthony Fenanucci, Discovery Bay, California. Thank you, Anthony. I think we have one more there. Yep. Uh, this one, Frank, is from Vegas Jilly. Uh, says, uh, titled, Very Smart, Entertaining, and you two are like the fun couple of MMA. Man, we need to run with that nickname. The fun couple of MMA. Uh, like the like the Sunny and Cher. We're gonna have to put that on a shirt. Makes more shirt. We are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that just made it. Jilly, you just became immortalized. Yeah, right? we're that fun couple. Uh, I always want to invite you, us to your MMA party. She says, "Awesome guys, uh, love the Mirror Family stories. Great job." Yep, Frank. Uh, always had. It was a big birthday weekend at the Mirror House because you had not one but two. Well, yeah, Ronan's birthday was uh, on the ninth. He's eight and now. Then my wife. Uh, uh, her birthday, without saying the age, yeah. <laughs> was uh, Saturday, but a little bit of uh, a bittersweet day for her. Our two small dogs, Baby and Tuli, that if anybody follows the show, has probably seen more often than not on the uh, camera and us yeah. talking about. They're both uh, uh, teacup Yorkies, and they're extremely small, even for a teacup Yorkie. They're both, they weigh a little over two pounds each. So uh, they're four years of age, and um, we very ignorantly and mistakenly never had them spaded because we never want to breed them, you know, because they have a very high uh, rate of fatality in breeding this dogs that mm-hmm. small. Mm-hmm. But we always felt that it'd be kind of scary to put them under anesthesia, being that small. What would happen? I don't know. So um, we should have investigated further, and we didn't. Uh, you know, we felt that, you know, I know that boy dogs, the males, if you don't have them fixed and they're not breeding, I know can cause problems. I'd always yeah. heard that growing up. Mel sitting right here. He's fixed. But I never heard that about female dogs. I didn't yeah. know there was any problems or complications that can occur from a female dog not being f- spaded and at the same time also not being used to mate, to breed. And so uh, the uh, pyrometra is a disease that can occur on dogs when they get an infection. Basically, every time they go into heat, they create a, an ideal situation in their uterus to try to, you know, to have puppies. But if when that's not happening, it also can set up a situation where they can get bacterial infections. Mm. And that's, uh, you know, we had noticed the last couple of days that baby was just kind of lethargic, not herself. And then even when Jennifer was holding her, you know, she's a lap dog, shoulder dog, you know, um, that she started kind of whimpering a little bit. So we thought maybe she got into something that she might've ate something she wouldn't have, you know, the kids might've dropped some food on the ground, you know, it'd run its course. And, uh, so finally Friday night, you know, we, uh, we, we took the, uh, dog, uh, baby to the, uh, our vet that we go to and, uh, you know, they did an x-ray showed that she didn't swallow anything in her intestines, uh, but she was running a slight fever. The blood test came back that her, her white blood cell count was quadruple what it should be. That's when they explained us about the pyrometra, which they thought it was. And sure enough, it was. So I thought that was a Def Leppard album. Yeah. Well, it went from what could have cost us, you know, $200 to go have them spaded. And mm-hmm. uh, now Thule is on deck. We're going to get her spaded here. Mm-hmm. 
uh, they were like, well, you could have done blood work and we could have tested out. And, you know, obviously, you know, anesthesia, we can't rule out that there's never any danger, but we could have, you know, there, there's precautions that if you want to pay a little bit more, we could have done. And, and, and we, shit, man, hindsight's twenty twenty. But uh, $2,020 later, uh, uh, she had to have surgery, emergency surgery Saturday. So that was what my wife was going through on her birthday. And she's okay now? Yeah, she's yep. in the bed right now with my yep. wife. We got to pick her up because she had to stay overnight after the surgery Sunday night. So now being Monday, uh, we, we picked her up and, uh, you know, she has a little silly collar on and, uh, you know, she's a little drugged up. But uh, she's definitely looks a lot better than what she did, and uh, so the good news is, uh, baby is is okay. She is, and if anybody wants to learn from my story, yes, even uh, female dogs, if you, you get them spaded, man, I always thought of you know doing the male dogs was extremely important because you know it calms them down. You know if they're not going to be mating anyways, you know it kind of would drive them crazy. It makes sense to me. Plus, if they ever get out, you know, you know they're you know it could cause a problem with population of unwanted animals. Yes, uh, but uh, you know a female, I thought was just you know basically the only problem was that you know when they're in heat they can bleed and you know the little diapers they make for them you put on there and, and you get past it and you know we don't have any dogs around them that aren't you know fixed so i thought we were uh you know we did the right thing and, and shit i almost lost our dog and that would have been the story of my wife's birthday is that yeah. her baby uh would have uh passed away and shit so our, her birthday until we found out she was out of surgery and doing well was on hold, you know, so yeah. we were sitting there like, what do you want to do? Like nothing. We're just going to sit here and wait and, you know, and find out what happens. So just like Bob Barker says, spay and neuter your pets and uh, they'll be better off for it. And you'll be better off too. Like uh, Frank just explained to you. Let's quickly uh, get in our plugs here before we run out of memory. Uh, Phoneboothfighting.com is the website. All the episodes previously aired and archived are available there. Absolutely free. The Amazon banner. Click through that. Do your shopping on Amazon. That benefits us. Uh, you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter. Facebook is official Richard Hunter. Frank Mir is official Frank Mir on Facebook. He is at the Frank Mir on Twitter and Instagram. And Frank, how do they follow the show? Um, phone boot fighting for Facebook and Instagram. And our Snapchat and Twitter is phone booth fight. That's it. And we will see you next uh, time right here on phone booth fighting. Everybody was kung fu. They fought with